talking about duets and Rocky Horror Glee Show. And returning is Jan and Jamie. Hello, I'm, I'm Jamie, uh, like a rum chocolate souffle. I'm Jan, Januarians. All right. So let's just jump right into duets, um, which is an episode that I think sometimes gets a little underrated or that people just don't talk about it a lot, but I think it's a very well-done episode. It's actually one of my favorites. <laughs> I might have weird taste, but I um, I really uh, enjoyed Sam as a character, and I love uh, La Jazz Hot. It's one of my favorite songs ever from the show. So it, It's one of my absolute favorite all-round episodes of Glee as well. I think... Sometimes when people who are sort of particularly sort of Curtin Blaine or Clane fans look at the se- look at season two because there's so many great episodes after Blaine arrives, arrives mm-hmm. that it mm-hmm. sort of gets lost in that. But it's definitely one of my favorites, and I think it's it depends on your part of fandom because it's such an important episode for Santana and for the Britannia relationship. I mean, oh yeah, absolutely. I think that. Uh, going off of that a little bit real quick, um, I think one thing that makes this episode so strong is that it focuses on the kids, and all of the um, plot lines have really, really good plot lines that kind of intertwine with each other, and nobody gets kind of shafted on it, and they do a really good job with balance. And and then going along with that, you know, you get the first Britannia stuff, and I, I think that it was a very well-written and conceived episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think... It's really well balanced because there's a lot of different storylines going on, but they tie together really well with the, you know, the duet theme, and mm-hmm. they're just really well done. It's really amusing to me how they talk about duets like they're sex acts. <laughs> yes. I think it's supposed to be that play on do it, you know? Yeah. That kind of like... <laughs> I mean, at the beginning, oh, go ahead. It's, go ahead, Jen. It's one of those glee things that, you know, singing with someone is an incredibly important act, whether it's akin to a sexual act or whether it's something else, you know. It's sort mm-hmm. of the most important thing you could do with a person. 
<laughs> like Santana yeah. says that doing a duet with yourself is vocal masturbation. And like, <laughs> yeah. there's there's other episodes where it's oh, and plus the only reason Brittany wanted to duet with Artie, no, the only reason she wanted to have a relationship with Artie is so she could do a duet with him. Like that was necessary. And uh, and there's other episodes where like in um bad reputation where like jesse and finn and puck are all like they feel like rachel cheated on them because she sang with all of them and uh and like there's songs where people realize their feelings for other people like blackbird and stuff and um yeah i i love it <laughs> yeah. although uh, with the britney thing she, the relationship is also because she wants to sing with santana because she wants a relationship with santana and then she's making her her she's trying to make santana jealous not just with singing with someone else, but doing all of the things that she wants to do with Santana with him. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and even at the beginning here, um, uh, Will likens it to a duet is, is like a good marriage, is what he says, which is funny to me that he's even talking about good marriages. At this point. <laughs> like he knows what one is. <laughs> <laughs> but it is there, that that, um, that draw, so... yeah. And then, yeah, we get Sam coming in. And, you know, I know that they said at the beginning that Sam, they weren't sure how to write him, but I I think Sam was a really good character, even at the beginning. Yeah, and there are so many things that seem like foreshadowing in this episode with, like, he's got a big secret, which I'm 100% sure turns out to be that he's poor. And, uh, And, like, at the end of the episode, when Quinn makes him pay for their date, um, she won't use the the coupons because it's a real date if the guy pays for it. Um, and uh, I, I just, I really feel for him at that point because he can't tell her that he can't really afford it. So oh, I wonder if he used how he dyed his hair bleach blonde then. Lemon juice. Yeah, he said oh it was lemon God. juice. <laughs> That's how much I pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's funny because I really, I like Sam a lot. But, and I sort of remember, I kind of liked it when he turned up, but honestly, I was annoyed that they'd replaced Matt Rutherford with another white guy. Uh, And, um, you know, Matt didn't have much of a plot, but I was a bit, like, inclined against Sam. mm -hmm. And actually, you know, one of the things I find with him is once I got on board with his character, going back, he's always consistently this awkward guy, you know, he's trying to get with Quinn but he's being a nerd because he doesn't know how to he wants to be popular he's very driven by that but at the same time he's a weird guy who speaks Navi and (laughs) you know bases how he's gonna look moving to Ohio off surfer movies (laughs) (laughs) and is he from Kentucky like yeah there's no reason anyone would think he's a surfer that doesn't make sense all the way through that's just Sam that he's very <laughs> consistent I think mm. <laughs> and he's so kind to everyone all the time I just love him mm. um, oh, shoot I had a thought and then it's gone oh, I hate when that happens um, well then jumping into the, the current portion of this and taking this kind of in context of he just you know his dad almost just died and he kind of is is getting out of that. And um, so this new kid shows up, and I think, I'm wondering if one reason, because he, he attaches himself to, to Sam really quickly, mm-hmm. and almost blindly, because I don't know, I mean, 
what is going on in his head other than hair dye, but just, he's like, oh, that guy, we're going to try, I'm going to try and sing a duet, and I wonder if it's some kind of reaction after what happened to him in the beginning of the season, or I'm actually, I'm actually curious if a lot of it was a reaction to the way his friends treated him in Grilled Jesus, because um, he, I think that he felt really, like, betrayed and let down by um, some of his friends who completely ignored his wishes, like, um, Mercedes and other people kept like praying for his dad after he said I'm super not comfortable with the prayers like don't do that around me and like he's like I need actual real support not like wishful thinking and and you know people kept ignoring him and not listening to what he wanted and uh, and I think that might be part of why he's um, uh, like he's not singing a duet with Mercedes, for example. They don't seem to be as close as they were in season one, and I mm-hmm. I think that all those uh, the conflict in in that episode might, might be a big part of that. So maybe he's trying to replace the, you know, there's a new guy. Maybe he can be my friend because these other people are are not uh, not supporting me in the way I want. I um I definitely think that's a really important aspect of him feeling alone. Um, and his feeling alone at the beginning of season two is very important, and that it's not just about um, the active bullying stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I, do see, I think him and Mercedes are shown to still be very close throughout the season, but him distancing himself immediately after makes sense. And especially, just there's someone new, there's some chance, you know. And the fact is, he's so desperate for someone who might um, be someone that he could, you know, identify, who could identify with him in this way, that mm-hmm. I, it makes sense to me that he latches onto Sam and that he goes to Sam when he's still very raw from everything that's just happened with his dad and with his friends not really respecting his atheism. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're right in that the theme of loneliness plays out even from you know, the beginning of uh, season two, I mean, it's a, a bit in season one, too, but this theme of him being alone and not necessarily all, only tied to the bullying, even though that's an aspect later on, but when we see him later, you know, uh, connecting with Blaine, you, you kind of, you come back to this and you're like, oh, he just wants somebody that he, he doesn't feel right now that he has somebody that he can really connect to on a different level than when he, you know, um, has with Mercedes or even Rachel, and he's kind of searching for that kind of thing. Well, mm-hmm. so. he's, he's until this episode, him and Rachel have not connected, and that's really, mm-hmm. I think people forget that a lot. They had, I mean, the closest they got was um, him giving her a cruel fake makeover. That's not, they weren't friends. Right. And actually, I just, um, last week, I rewatched, um, I finished rewatching season six. And I watched 2009, and I sort of wonder if you put that into the frame of the whole thing, that he and Rachel sing a duet and he thinks they're going to be friends, and then she jumps him and says that's not how it works. If that mm. contributes to him being one of the harshest people towards her in season one, I think you've actually oh. sort of worked that back together. Um, because he is especially... And then there's also the fact that she's got the gay dads and that Early on, he wouldn't necessarily want to be linked to that because he's trying to see this straight, but then he could have resentment. I don't know, but I, I think there's an interesting thing there. That's yeah, I never really thought of it that way. That's pretty cool. Um, 
this episode is also um, it does one of the things. One thing I've seen people they still years later would complain about. They would and it's um, in you know media coverage of it, sort of articles and that, as well as people in fandom. They talk about um, what happened in theatricality, and they talk about the fact that Kurt was at, was to blame as well for the way he was acting towards Finn, and people say, and they never even, you know, he never even had anything saying that was negative, whereas actually that was right at the end of season one, and then as soon as they could in season two, they have a plot about that, where Brooke mm-hmm. and Finn are both coming down on him really very harshly because of you know the way he acted there yep exactly i i want to get to that point in just a second though um i want to hit on a few things and then we'll jump into because i think that is 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 dead on that they really did go out of their way to try and um it it correct criticisms quote unquote that people were having about theatricality um but before we get to there i just want to say i i do think it's kind of cute and interesting in retrospect that here Kurt's going on about Sam and Mercedes is like, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. I just always thought that was funny. Um, and then we get um, the scene um, with Kurt and Sam at the locker where he first introduces himself. And, you know, I, when you first watch this, I, I think... Or if you aren't in the right mindset, you can say, oh, wow, Kurt's coming on way too strong. Um, but it's interesting to note that, that Sam doesn't really necessarily get defensive until Kurt starts talking about his hair dye. <laughs> and it's it's misleading because I think Sam generally is like, okay, this new dude is like here and talking to me and whatever. And, and it's not Kurt being gay at any point that Sam is at all on the defense about I I think that's definitely a really important point, and he's not, you know, Kurt says, make him laugh, you know, singing in the rain. He's not trying to explicitly make it romantic in any way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like how Sam is just, like, really impressed with his singing. Like, he says... um, he says to Finn, he's, he emailed me like 60 MP3s of him singing. I thought it was Faith Hill. <laughs> <laughs> and like, he doesn't seem to think it's weird that there would be that quantity of MP3s. Like, that does seem a little over the top for Kurt to send that penny. But Sam's just like, wow, he's a really good singer. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I love that. And, you know, I love the scene with Sam and Finn talking about it. Because Finn's been... And actually, you know, it's a theme in both of what Finn's doing. Finn's been playing this manipulative game with Sam where he's trying to control who Sam is going to be in his place at the school because they need another guy for Glee Club, but he needs to not step out of line and he'll tell him it's for popularity and then he'll say, no, but you can't do this because, you know, Glee Club isn't popular and, you know, completely turn poor Sam around who just got to a new school and wants to, you know... (laughs) do stuff to become popular because it's such a different environment to being at an all-boys boarding school before. Um, and that he, but that even so, even though he's so driven by popularity, he's not going to say, no, I'm not going to sing with Kurt because of this. Right. Oh, And I think that's the one thing I really, one of the things I really like about Sam is that like, even in this beginning kind of introductory episode, even though he was in audition, 
he you know he doesn't have any kind of he he, he likes Kurt he, he he's not going to go back on his word he's not necessarily as driven by the popularity thing as say Finn I think it's it's definitely driven um but he is definitely he definitely thinks he is he talks about it a lot he about wanting it I think more than he possibly really is I don't know but he talks about wanting to be popular and doing things to be popular a lot in the first in the beginning of season two and I like how he's got this sense of honor that's more important than anything else and he tells Finn like I gave him my word and that's that and uh and how he um he calls Finn out on being kind of homophobic about how he talks about Kurt like I didn't know you had a problem with gay dudes and Finn's like it's not me it's everyone else (laughs) and um and I also love that Finn tells Kurt that if he sings with Sam he'll be painting a target on his back and like the very next scene we see Sam in he's wearing a target (laughs) t-shirt oh I never noticed that's brilliant (laughs) Uh, um oh go ahead Jen I just say you know I also, I really love when Kurt does go to Sam, and it's sort of this weird thing where Kurt and Sam have this scene together at the lockers and they talk, and then they're just with other people telling them what to do, and they don't ever actually discuss it between them. Mm. But when he goes to Sam in the shower, I think, actually, to me, that shows just how much his interest in in Sam is entirely non-sexual, because I think if it was at all, it would he would never even slightly consider going up to him in the shower, but he doesn't even think of, you know, I don't think he's even thinking of those implications because he's just not thinking about sex in that way. He's not approaching it as anything like that. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. a guy who who's there, he's in the shower right now. I'm going to tell him he's free. Right. And, and I think, yeah, that Kurt, it's not necessarily, I mean, yeah, the beginning portrays kind of Kurt has a, a little bit of interest in that he thinks he's cute and everything, but there's there's more of a, oh, I have an opportunity to possibly sing with another guy. Let me see if I can go down this road and where will it lead. Definitely. Um, There was... Oh, I do remember what I was going to say earlier, though. I actually remember uh, when this episode was coming out because... There was a lot of discussion. I was only on the fringe of fandom at the time, but there was a lot of discussion on uh, Kurt getting a boyfriend. And, and, of course, we all know about Sam being the, the first candidate for that. And because I, I, I didn't know anything about fandom, um, and I just my friend told me about it, the, the person I was uh, watching these with at the time. And I remember we were, like, the whole episode trying to guess if Sam was actually gay or not. And it's kind of funny to me in retrospect because it's, Clearly, he's not, but um, I don't know. That's just a side thought there. <laughs> but he is still catnip to the gay dudes. They all have something with him. I was thinking about this watching season six because um, Spencer is clearly head over heels for Coach Sam. Um, and there's the thing of um, Dave looking at him, and that's how Santana figures him out. And, mm-hmm. um, oh, that's true. <laughs> Um, what do you guys think about the whole discussion on um, starting in this scene? Uh, later, it's specified towards Kurt, but uh, Sam says, you know, isn't it not appropriate for two men to sing a duet together? And yet, in the same episode, they have no problem with two women singing together. Even, and I just thought, wondered what you guys' thoughts were on that. I think that it's um, 
partly a reflection of how in society in general um, people react badly to men being too intimate with each other, but women can like hold hands and things like that without necessarily being perceived as queer. Um, and even if they are, they'll be gal pals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it's um, like it kind of makes sense to me that if if I'm not clear on if the bullying that Finn is worried about is because it's two guys or because Kurt is known to be gay. Um, but either way, I think it does make sense that um, people have more of an issue with two men being, um, you know, presenting themselves in a in a potentially queer way than two women. Um, I think I think the word duet is part of his stumbling because I think the thing is he just the concept of two guys singing a duet together is is one that is he's not he's is one that he's possibly not really seen before because even if you do get two guys singing together on things it wouldn't necessarily be called a duet a lot of the time mm-hmm. like you wouldn't talk about Wham's duets oh that's true hmm. that's just those guys singing yeah yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, I just think it's an interesting thing that keeps, it comes up again. I don't remember where, or if it came up before, maybe it came up before, but anyway. And the duet that uh, Rachel and Kurt sing at the end of the episode is based on a duet by two women that no one perceived as queer as well, so. Um, No, that's a good point. Yeah, and, um, well, Mercedes and Tana have done a duet before, but it was (laughs) explicitly about, um, the other one stealing the man and who's that boy's mind. So that's sort of, well, that was all part of Santana's sort of um, performance of heterosexuality that she did through seasons one and two. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting, a little sort of minor point relating to this is when um, Tina and Mike start doing sing from a chorus line, uh, when it starts, you get an expert, you get Kurt's surprise face, and there's a lot of ways, you know, that can obviously just be because Mike is singing, which is the first time <laughs> he's done that, but also, he's singing the female part from that song, they've gender bent it, and he would oh, know that. I didn't know I that. I never knew that. Yeah. I didn't know that. And I thought it was just always, because he does make the, the best looking face during that <laughs> song, um, but, yeah, I, that's interesting. Yeah, and I, I think, it's one of those things that they wouldn't even necessarily be intentional, but I think you could definitely see it there because he is the one being quite so shocked and there's been so many issues about guys singing girl song and all of that and Madonna week drama. Um, so, and even, you know, the Lady Gaga thing, the guys wouldn't sing that. And Mike was one of those guys. So. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. I mean, Mike's singing is kind of funny in itself, but the fact that I, I can see now Kurt's reaction makes actually a little more sense now. Thanks, Jan. Yeah. <laughs> it also reminds me a little bit of um, in season three when Rory does his falsetto and when he comes in and Kurt's like, okay, fine, somebody else can sing. <laughs> Even though he's really singing falsetto, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and a- another just tiny moment, and actually the Kurt and Bert, there's probably more to discuss there, but a weird thing. Kurt says he made some vegan carrot soup with whole wheat croutons, and there's something about that that we're supposed to sort of have this, oh, that sounds like food Bert would hate reaction. 
And he says, do you know how hard it is to get saffron in this part of Ohio? <laughs> I know. I watched the episode before I came on, and I, I got that line again, and it just cracked me up. Yeah, it's um, funny, but it's also, that's a really luxurious ingredient, and, he, and it's sort of, he is trying to make this as luxurious and delicious as he can in sort of his curt way of adding saffron when it can't be, you know animal fat or whatever else Bert might want to add flavor with. And Bert's like, I guess I can't add salt to it then. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, we'll get to more of that in just a second. Jumping back to the uh, Finn and Kurt scene. And um, this scene was definitely a commentary on some of the criticisms they had. But at the same time, what Finn says to Kurt is really, really harsh when you sit and think about it. Because... He's basically saying, you know, people, you know, you are a toxic person to be around. And I don't think Finn realizes he's saying this. I mean, he, he's just, he thinks he's trying to look out for everybody here. But the way he puts it, it's like, okay, well, if you are a toxic person, Sam shouldn't sing with you because that's a bad thing. And it's it's just, it's really hurtful. And every, I don't know. I, I'm not mad at Finn. I think he's generally a good guy, but just the... the I don't know. <laughs> I think this episode is really part of a big ramp up of, and you know, that you also get in Grilled Jesus of at this point, Finn is a complete mess and he's acting like a horrible person. And he, you know, he's praying to be quarterback and uh, <laughs> instead of Sam, in, instead of thinking about, you know, other things and helping other people and. Mm. You know, and then he feels hurt because of Bert, but he's still on that track. Of and, he's, and he thinks he only gets three wishes, and he uses one of them on touching Rachel's boobs. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and you know, and you get his plot with Rachel, which is actually probably what it's one of my favorite plots that Finch will get while they're together because they are completely on the same wave, same wavelength. It's a terrible wavelength. Yeah, <laughs> but they are completely. They're you know they're scheming together. He goes. Hey, Grease 2, that was so bad. But you know why? We discussed why it's so bad. You know, it's a mutual thing <laughs> of them like, believing that they are so perfect they have to fought, do something incredibly offensive. Oh, <laughs> and one of, my, one of my favorite lines from that whole thing is where Rachel's like, you know, I'm really not a good person. And Finn's like, yeah, but I still like you. <laughs> <laughs> and that is Rachel in a nutshell. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But yeah, and and it's like, um, like I said, I, I think Finn is just, I mean, he's young and growing up in the society that thinks a certain way, and I, and I understand where he's coming from, but, you know, this adds to Kurt's loneliness. I mean, no one else really knows what he's going through, and and so it just all feels very heavy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Finn is not, you know he's not being there for him at this point and that sort of builds up until you get for it. You know, this is all building up the thing of that he just cares more about himself and his own popularity and him and Rachel are sort of feeding off each other in this negativity cycle because they are so desperate to get this perceived status that he theoretically once had and mm-hmm. hold on to it. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he's really hurtful to Kurt here. Um, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead, Jen. Sorry. sorry. No. Um, I, I also think it's interesting that this 
kind of this talk and the events around theatricality and, and resulting in Finn coming him to him like this kind of uh, also affect when he meets Blaine why he's so very close off. And I don't know if that's the right way to put it. He's not, you know, unlike with Finn where he was kind of just throwing himself at Finn, he really, you know, takes the, you know, other road. He's like, okay, I'll be friends. I'm not going to, you know, push myself on Blaine. I'm not going to, you know, whatever. And, and it's an interesting how it, it, in a lot of TV shows, you don't always get this kind of connection. I think it's very interesting that they followed up what happened with season one into season two and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, Finn's basically victim blaming Kurt for any bullying that Sam goes through because it, it would be his fault for singing with him. Mm. And it's interesting uh, that Kurt feels so alone here because he feels like no one's on his side, but then in, in a few episodes when maybe it's not a few episodes, maybe it's longer when everyone finds out about the bullying, they, all the guys want to storm out and beat the crap out of Dave Karofsky, um on Kurt's behalf. And that's their way of showing support. So it's not like, they they don't show intimacy or affection to Kurt, but they do want to look out for him and protect him. I guess and that, that's actually um, if you sort of jump to the end a bit with with Rachel. That's what Rachel says, she, and mm-hmm. I think that's a really important scene for her. And that's the scene that is the beginning of Kurt and Rachel being friends and becoming the friends that they do eventually and going from what they were, which is not, you know, they weren't close. And she says to him, you know, I I can't imagine what it would be like to have all these feelings for people in high school and not being able to act on them. And she says, "You, I know you're lonely, but you're not alone. And um, she'll say, there's 12 people that love you, because, you know, they do care about him, even as they are not the best at showing it. But at the same time, you know, it's one of the things he says to his dad, you know, I'm the only out gay person at school because even having people who are close to him, it doesn't necessarily help. And then they're close to him and they care about him, but they showed that, you know, in last week by praying for his dad even when they didn't want that. They did that because they love Kurt, but it's mm-hmm. something they should have done. Right. Yep. And, yeah, so this kind of goes into the, the bird scene where... You know, they kind of are talking in two different pages, but, but um, yeah, I mean, Kurt is so eager that, like, he's like, what am I doing wrong? And, and Bert is kind of like, you know what, this is the world, and it doesn't mean, you know, you shouldn't want to change it, but I, I like Bert's line about, um, do I have it written down exactly what it is? Probably not. Um. Oh, yeah, until you find someone who is as open and as brave as you are, you're going to have to get used to going alone. And in this whole episode being about duets and partnerships and, you know, even uh, Sam meeting Quinn and all of this jazz, and, and Kurt is very intentionally on his own because until he does, I mean, I, I like to think that this is a setup for Blaine, um, you know, someone who can be on his level and understand things, you know, he is going to have to, you know, face a lot of these things by himself which is and it's not to say that like everybody won't be there for him like they do and and i believe the episodes for when they go out and um and stand up for him and rachel comes at the end and sings with him but some things he is alone in at this point in time sorry that was a big long run on second <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think that's 
a really important aspect of it because, you know, he wants all these things and there's no one, you know, he's not necessarily going to get someone who will be able to do that because, you know, it's the sort of environment where most people wouldn't feel comfortable being out and if they were, they wouldn't necessarily, you know, be where he is. And it, it's very hard and you can see that in him throughout the episode. I mean, one of the biggest things, you watch um, Lucky and, you know, Sam sort of, he's not trying to sort of stab Kurt's emotions in the heart. He's trying to flirt with Gwyn. But he says, right. I couldn't have uh, couldn't have asked for a better duet partner before they start. Mm-hmm. And then they sing and they, you, it shows us, you know, Tina and Mike and... Um, all the you know it shows us all these couples and then it shows us Kurt just being quietly devastated and I like I mean the, even with the scene with his dad at, at just the very ending when kind of Kurt kind of resigns and, and lays against his, his dad's shoulder and it just it's so heartbreaking and, and sad but you know yeah. mm. When you're different, when you're special, sometimes you have to get used to doing things by yourself. Mm. Um, the next scene, let's see what we've got here, is um, when he comes to see Sam in the shower, and I think you're right, Jan, there, where it's you can tell that this wasn't necessarily something that was supposed to be sexual. I mean... I think even in with the scene with his dad, he's kind of resigned, like, okay, I just wanted to sing with him. This was just a long shot. I wasn't even that interested, but I just wanted to do this. And I, that it reinforces that he comes to the shower, and he's like, okay, you're off the hook. Hmm. So. Yeah. I, I like the end of the scene, though, when, <laughs> when he walks away, and he's like, um, that you have they have shampoo for dye hair, and he's like, I don't dye my hair. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, I like that they have that little sort of jokey moment between them, and it sort of it both of the it, you know him lightly teasing because you know this it's hard for Kurt, and it's one of the many things that makes everything so hard. But this one thing isn't going to break him. You know, he's not. He's not destroyed because he doesn't get to sing with Sam. It's just yet another thing chipping away, but it's not sort of crumbling his walls. Um, so we get to Lejez Hot, and, and Jamie, do you want to talk about why you like this one so much? It's my favorite. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, Kurt is amazing in it. Like, his singing is amazing. That whole, like, especially that long note at the end where he, he demonstrates so, run up. so much of his range, um, and uh, and I like it better than the original version of this song, um, and uh, and the the costuming also is amazing with him uh, demonstrating both masculine and feminine um, a- like aspects of himself, and um, and I love that everyone supports him in it. The whole Glee club cheering for him while he's being really visibly queer um on stage and he's got um he's got all the the backup dancers like mike is one of the people up on stage with him and 
Um, 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 and I wanted to compare it to a scene from How I Met Your Mother, actually. There's, um, it was like a couple years later, uh, Barney's brother James um, does a performance that's like similarly like half his face is, is male and half his face is female. And mm-hmm. it's on that, it's played off as a joke. Like, it's hilarious that he would do something like that. Like, they, the characters are all, like, weirded out by it, and there's a laugh track. And it's just, like, such a difference in how that kind of, um, you know, gender variant performance is portrayed. Because when Kurt does it, it's a good thing, and it's um, it's playing with gender in a way that's um, representing an aspect of himself and everyone's happy for him and cheering him on. And I just, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, um, I love how uh, it's such a good thing for him to be different in Glee. Yeah, I love all of that as well. And I think one of the things that's really important about it is that this is Kurt sort of, playing with the masculine and the feminine on his own terms, very much so. And, you know, that's the big difference between this and uh, Will assuming that he would um, pay Frankenfurter or Sue telling him that if he doesn't dress as a girl, then they'll lose nationals. Mm -hmm. Because this is something very much on his terms and, you know, even as he's playing with the feminine, it's still a suit and it's still something where he can I I think we it's interesting because we do see him as, as a Halloween costume again on his terms um, dressing up as Snooki Snooki I don't watch Jersey Shore but you know generally I think it's interesting when he does it it's very much a particular form and he, he just looks so confident and he's performing like he was born to do it it's one of the most amazing things and I think one of the things that I like about it, they're, they're supporting him and I really love Rachel's in particular and I think this sort of is part of what leads to later is I think it's one of those moments of recognizing something about the two of them that, that everybody else isn't quite there with with you know their love of Broadway and particular types of performance and you get that throughout all the seasons there's a thing where one of them will do a performance that's very Broadway and the other one sort of cheers for it in a different recognizery way it's a new word <laughs> I, yeah I wanted to make a comment about Rachel in this because um at the very beginning um, Kurt talks about, um, you know, like, he's like, I had a partner, but now I don't. We're not going to talk about that. And she looks at Finn, like, what did you do? <laughs> um, and Finn's like, what? I didn't do anything. And um, and I think that also kind of plays into where she's watching him and, and she gets it. And, and this is kind of, I, I give Rachel, even though the rest of her plot line is kind of awful, I, I give her credit for... Um, noticing Kurt and and recognizing some of herself in Kurt here and um this is all build up towards the end where they they sing the duet together and they they kind of become friends and and find their common ground but um I do like her looks throughout this where she's rather impressed and she is very specifically there picking a song for them to do which is the intersection of their interests so massively 
and that mm-hmm. features Kurt just as much as her, which is a big thing for her to do and to realise to do. And there is no benefit to her other than getting to sing with Kurt and trying to make him happier when he's having a hard time. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I think that's kind of one reason... I, I, I mean... My issues with Hummelberry have always been in a writing stance, not necessarily because I think they're toxic friends or anything, but that's a whole other story for season four. <laughs> um, but, um, but no, I, I do think that she has this genuine like concern, and, and Rachel is not the type of person that usually looks beyond whatever is good for Rachel. So um, I, I do like that aspect of their friendship beginning with that kind of thing. And I really love, I just love, and it's one of those things I think it's funny because people, you know, it shows that up until this moment they aren't, you know, close. That she says, and she's so cautious about saying it because she knows how she feels. I think you and I are a little more similar than you think. And he says, that's a terrible thing to say. (laughs) Actually, that's a terrible thing to say, but she goes forward. (laughs) Um... A, a couple more reactions I wanted to point out during this, which, by the way, I do think this is a, just a fantastic number for him to do. I, just as a general performance of anything on the show, it is, every time I watch it, I, I just admire it a little bit more because of how much work went into it and how much, like, it just shines. Um, I think it's an underrated performance in a lot of ways. Um, I, I like Sam's reactions. I, he's kind of, oh, yeah, this this is kind of cool. I, I like this. Um, and then Santana, I wanted to mention, because before this even starts, she's like, oh, she has her vocal masturbation line, and she's been really snarky with him for, through the whole beginning of season two. I'm not entirely sure what to pull on from that, but oh, uh, at the end, she stands up and claps and thinks it's the best thing that she's ever seen, so. Um, yeah, and she says, oh, I had it written down, I don't know she said something awful, uh, another thing. I, I think that's part of her the fact that they really ramp up her performative sexuality. She needs to distance herself from Kurt. Mm-hmm. And they are, you know, her, she is pretty consistent when you look at it, sort of focusing on her, that she has this, you know, it's internalized homophobia and it's fear and it's confusion because she just doesn't know where she is, but she doesn't want to be in his social position. And she gets a lot crueler to him, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I like that she, even then, she's not going to, you know, tear him apart. She claps with everyone else and she really looks so, you know, impressed. Mm. <laughs> yep. and, and there's like a few episodes from, from this one when um, uh, they, when Will first mentions uh, the school, um, the, the, the Dalton Academy for Boys, and Santana says, oh, a million awesome gay jokes just popped into my head, and Kurt glares yep. at her. <laughs> so yep. she does, I think that's never been kissed. Yeah. yeah. So she does yeah. keep on with the, the, you know, homophobia kind of thing for a while. Yeah, and I mean, it's something she does somewhat even later, but it's particularly prominent. Um, at this point, it's sort of being, it's very clear to me sort of watching it with that focus that it's being ramped up alongside, you know, they have that in this episode where we have seen that she and Brittany have an ongoing relationship and it, an ongoing sexual relationship that Brittany wants to make more 
um, that she's mm-hmm. denying. Yeah, I do think that's an interesting, I don't, it's not exactly a parallel, but it's interesting that they pull out, they start to really pull out the Britannia, like seriously look at Britannia as a couple here when they're also at the same time, you know, here's Kurt being out and being um, ostracized for it. And so Santana, on the other hand, is they, they Santana and Brittany have a relationship together, but they're keeping it very in the closet. Yeah. And actually, I you know, I think it's relevant that in this episode, Kurt specifically says, at no other out gay people. Oh. It acknowledges that he's not the only one that there will be, is there. I always have to wonder, he, in the sectionals episode, um, when, when Brittany makes the comment of if, what if um, dating with sex and Santana and I would be dating yeah. or something like that? And Kurt like tucks it away. He's like, "Oh, that's interesting." <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot, you know. Even in this episode, Brittany says, looks at Santana, and she says, "I'm mad at you, but you're still so hot." And people see that, but it's the thing that sort of Jamie mentioned that they could do whatever, and people would still just assume they're just friends because they're two mm-hmm. women. Um, yeah, and actually. Uh, one of this has one of my favorite just like really ridiculous little things of the mime that Brittany does looking at her when she's walking oh. away with Artie no boobies for you and I like that Santana doesn't try and find a guy to sing with here she finds Mercedes and it's you know while they sort of had the boy's mind this is really the beginning of what will become a glorious um, singing combination um, mm-hmm. that's possibly my favorite duet partners on Glee, and I love um, River Deep Mountain High, and they do such a great job. And but then also, you know, she's she's gaining a confidence in herself to go, yeah, I can, you know, I, I I'm I can be this lead person, which she wasn't trying to be, in you know, she in season one. She seemed perfectly happy to just sort of be swaying in the background and not singing. And part of that is that, you know, it took them a long time to realize that Naya had an amazing voice. But also, I think, you know, she was in Glee Club and it was sort of for Sue, but it was also kind of the best part of her day. But now she's sort of more willing to be in Glee Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could talk about Santana in this for like an hour. So. <laughs> We're gonna have to, I, like I said, um, I know I'm doing special podcasts. I'm gonna have to do my own, like one for individual characters because I think there's so much to say that I like. Uh, yeah. Well, also, just they start the, the as it's the duets episode. I have to mention the really important OTP that starts here, which is Santana breadsticks. <laughs> okay. Have you been to breadsticks? Oh my gosh! How did we not mention that? I'm sorry that I forgot that. <laughs> And just, she's just so intense about that breadsticks voucher. It's amazing. Man, she is so angry when she loses it. Yeah. Oh, man. I, uh, and doesn't, um, when they're voting, doesn't Mercedes write Satan on the card? I, I have to go back and find Oh, yeah. And, uh, and Kurt writes um, Kurt Elizabeth Hummel. And um, which I'm pretty sure is supposed to be a reference to the producers, because there's someone in there who says his middle name is Elizabeth. Um, I don't remember exactly what happened there, but um, I think that it was initially done as a as a joke. 
and then someone asked later on, like much later, I think, someone asked Ryan Murphy on Twitter, what's Kurt's real middle name? And he said Elizabeth, which you could take as a joke, and it's not part of the canon. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like that um, there are a bunch of ways that Kurt plays with gender, and that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've seen fandom explore this in so many ways, and, you know, his from his mom being named Elizabeth, to him changing it to his mom's name, to... Uh, uh, I've know. read a bunch of, of fics where Kurt is trans and his birth name was Elizabeth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My question, though, is why is there a ball and a flower on this card? <laughs> I'm staring at this still, and he oh. signs his name, but he, I mean, is he bored? Is he, you know... <laughs> probably bored. He probably drew that, you know, while Will was talking. <laughs> <laughs> and I, we, as we sort of brush it, but just um, happy days are here again. Forget your troubles is, um, it's probably one of my top Glee songs, top ten Glee songs ever. I love it dearly, and I think it's interesting because it's about being happy, but it's about people who've got a lot of trouble and who've mm-hmm. you know been through really hard stuff being happy. And I really like that when Kurt sings, soon your cares will be gone, they show him um, with his cares, as it were. He's tucking Bert in as he's sleeping on the sofa um, at mm-hmm. home. And there's sort of contrast there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, you know, and something I've always um, um, thought about with, with Happy Days uh, is that Right now, they may not be, but I think it's very optimistic for both Kurt and Rachel at this moment to sing with each other this particular song. And I don't know. I, I like the, the optimism of it going forward. Yeah. And um, it, it, it's one of my absolute favorite um, duets on the show. Yeah. And they even have, you know, Brittany with her poor, sad little nudging the um, meatball by herself. As the starts, you know, there are a lot of troubles, but, you know, it's got the optimistic hope that things will get better. Midler. <laughs> um, jumping back real quick, I wanted to say um, during the song where, uh, well, during Lucky, when, when, Sam, when Sam and um, Quinn are singing and Kurt's looking very sad, um, Rachel notices that. And um, I think, you know, that's kind of, prompts her finally to do the locker scene which we talked about a bit mm. and um, I wanted to mention that and then um, oh I, I don't know whatever something else and now it's gone again so just ignore me <laughs> and Tina and Mike actually get there's like a plodiness and Mike actually gets a bit of story for the first time here uh, also with me yeah I think all of the characters get some kind of uh, storyline oh that's what I was going to say um I really want to just take a quick shout out to mention Kurt, not Kurt, Finch, Finchel's really um, bad choice of a duet. Oh, I love it so much. I honestly don't understand it. Like, what are they supposed to be like an a, a, like a priest and a child, or like what is happening? Well, I think it's. I mean, I've never. I can't comment a hundred percent, but it's the fact that they this song is about what it's. God, what are they singing about sex? Like, it's a really, it's a song that's the way the the actual meaning of it put in the context of this religious context is offensive to religious people. Yeah, well, but maybe it's, it's taking the use of born again, <laughs> religious, but also sexual. And I think it's just like a priest with like a 
like a choir girl, maybe. It's okay. definitely, yeah. I, or maybe even like someone who works at the church. But just the fact that he's a priest with some <laughs> woman singing this very sexual song, but also like you know got the born again meaning it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's like, I think I, they. they we're aware that there are a lot, I mean, coming off of even the last week's World Jesus, um, they were aware that there are a lot of religious people in there, so they wanted to offend them. Yep. And so taking this song that's meant for sexual relations and putting it in a religious context would be offensive. At least that's my Maybe opinion. Maybe someone like, listening can say yeah. that. Is this, like, I'm not clear on if Rachel's supposed to be a child or, like, a nun or what. I, I think, yeah, like, a nun type of a thing, I think. Oh. It's just, Though child makes it really yeah, creepy. Wow. <laughs> but I, I, I'm always, one of my favorite things about Glee, and you just don't get it with other shows, is just lots of horrified reaction faces. It has the best bizarre what the hell is going on reaction faces. And I love them in this scene. And I love, actually, I like that Sam is the first one to say, that was really rude. Like, <laughs> that sort of tells us, you know, tells us that he is religious possibly and also that he's going to say something about it. Um, even when he doesn't know the people there that he feels strongly enough, like, no, what, what, what was that? Um, going kind of back to the happy days, though, have you guys ever seen the televised duet that uh, Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand did of this? Because they're wearing almost the yes. exact same costumes. Yes. And I, I kind of love that. They're sitting kind of in the same way. They kind of, you could tell that the actors watched it before they, yeah, they, they did. Yeah. And I think that's something that Kurt and Rachel really would do. Mm -hmm. It feels very natural for them to sort of she picks this song and he goes, okay, I've got just the suit for it. And, you know, maybe even practice it together and, you know, have this moment of this shared thing that they both love and they've both, you know, probably seen a million times. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um. So that kind of wraps up duet. Does, does anybody else have any comments before we move on or? Right. Jumping on to Rocky Horror Glee Show. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm a little thin in this. <laughs> I'm like, this play makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I've seen it once, and it was about 15 years ago. Um, I love the music, though. I think it's great music. <laughs> I, I've loved uh, the Rocky Horror Show for a long time. I watched it when I was probably far too young to watch it. Um, but <laughs> I might say a thing and then <laughs> you should cut this bit out. Um, anyway, um, there's I, not a whole lot of Kurt in this episode. Um, he actually only gets lines at the beginning and that is in the conversation about, um, Will finally deciding, and you know, what does this say about Will that he does this, that, you know, okay, Kurt, you can have Frank converter cause you know, that's you. And then Kurt saying, no. You know? He's like, I, I'm I, not going to wear high heels and and uh, lipstick. And Santana's like, why? Is that too last season? Yeah. <laughs> I lo I, it's just a little thing, because this was the Halloween episode. And I love that um, that scene just starts. 
and you know sometimes you get these little snippets of conversation and Kurt says to Brittany so what are you going to be for as for Halloween this year and Brittany says I'm going as a peanut allergy and he just looks away <laughs> <laughs> like I can't believe I made out with you I always think that sometimes when Kurt and Brittany have conversations and then he's just like what and I don't know why the total like stares at the camera as if you're in the office face <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I also like when um, Will is handing out the um, permission slips, and Kurt's just like, all right, I'm signing this. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, he signs it. He forges his dad's name on it, basically. And he's, he's really excited about it. Like, at first, he's one of the people who sort of jumps around, but then Rachel is, you know, saying, isn't that a bit risque? And he says, a school in Texas couldn't even do rent. And I think, you know, that tells us he's sort of aware of these things, and he keeps track of these sort of ideas that even though he wants to want wants to do it he's aware of the realities mm. i actually have a question for you guys um even though i do think it's kurt's reasoning here makes a lot of sense to his character um it's kind of a i don't know if it's a well-known fact that uh, chris pushed for wanting to be riffraff so um had Chris Colfer not wanted to do riffraff or not really been partial to whatever he got. Do you think that they might have gone with Kurt being free converter? That's um, an interesting I'll, question. I never thought, say, I never knew that he, um, that I never knew it was Chris's idea to do riffraff. So I have thought mm-hmm. about that. The, the way that I've um, heard it wasn't, um, and it may not be true, I think he sort of te- talked about liking riffraff. But um, I've heard he really wanted to do the time warp, and you know, oh, okay, maybe that's it. You know, independent—not necessarily the concept of doing a Rocky Horror episode, but he really wanted to sing the time warp, which is sort of led by Riff Raff. And I don't know if that then sort of, if he did specifically want Riff Raff, or it sparked off there. Um, and it's interesting because I don't know. I think they could get a bit more of an interesting, you know, the story they got, even though it's a minor one within the episode, but the idea that someone wants to do it and their parent says no. And also the idea of Mercedes taking this chance to be a lead regardless is possibly more interesting story than Kurt just going, yeah, I'll do it and moving on. Um, And it also adds to, Mercedes online ongoing plotline about wanting to be the lead in something um, and it's um, I do want to talk more about that 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 line from Mike later but um, I'm not sure how the episode would have gone if Kurt had been Frankenfurter it would have they, it would have completely changed the main plotline I yeah. guess so it would have been a totally different episode and it was it was a very focused on the adult kind of episode. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it would have been even more focused on the adults, and it would have just been like, oh, the kids are playing these parts, and no drama there or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just throwing it out there as a hypothetical. I thought it's an interesting thing to come across. Or <clears throat> and I know, this. I know that in the past, Chris had also um, like he'd changed his costume for single ladies initially he would have had to wear just the leotard and high heels and he added a vest and changed the shoes um and so i think that he does like personally have um 
you know, feelings about um, <laughs> dressing in too feminine of a way. Yeah. Um, With, yeah. I mean, single ladies especially was really, really, really early. And, well, he obviously still had, you know, some feelings. And I think he was probably considering he had to repeat that a few times and do it, you know, in arenas. Really happy that they changed that costume. Um <laughs> But yeah, and I I wonder, I think it could have been quite different. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a minor in the way it's played in this episode point that is very relevant to Kurt, our understanding of who Kurt is. And, and you know, also, also our understanding of who Will is, like that yeah. he is just willing to make these assumptions about who everyone is going to play. Like, obviously, the... You know, the queerest kid is going to be Frankenfurter without, like, obviously he'd be fine with that. <laughs> yeah, and the, Artie's the guy in the wheelchair, and Finn and Rachel are Brad and Janet. And yeah, yeah the way Will casts this thing, as somebody who did a lot of um, theater in high school, it drives me up the wall, but that's just, you know, <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on Will teaching, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um. And one of the things I find interesting just about that first scene is, why is Quinn so familiar with Rocky Horror? <laughs> because <laughs> Sam has no idea what it is when Will tells him he's going to be playing the monster. And she says, oh, he's kind of the Frankenstein, but like blonde. You'll be great. great. And actually, I, I have that. a sort of headcanon that maybe it was just like a group sleepover when she was living at Mercedes and they all, a bunch of them watched Rocky <laughs> Horror together. I like that headcanon. <laughs> Somebody needs to write fic about that. I don't see any other way in which Quinn for Bray would have become familiar with it. <laughs> Although, actually, mm. I went to... Um, the only time I've seen it fully performed live was a matinee in the very sort of upper-middle-class area that was near where I lived. Um, and that was full of family, so I had no idea what they were seeing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to see that fan fiction where her family goes and they don't know what it is. <laughs> they're sitting next to someone who knows all the things to shout out and it's like really loud <laughs> you know I think it'd be in- I've never been to a live performance of it though I think that would be interesting to go see and yeah. um, I, I just have little notes on this so after I get through my little checkpoints we can open it up and talk a little more about this episode in general um, basically, the rest of Kurt in this episode is pretty much him as riffraff, and I kind of love, like, it's basically during songs, but he has some really pretty awesome moments. There's one, um, right before the Damn It Janet scene, and, like, um, there's, I don't know how they get on the conversation of, like, women's clothing or something, but, or no, women objectification, and Quinn's going on and on about, like, you know, that, you know, how... I think Finn's insecure about his body, and Quinn's like, you know, you guys make jokes about us all the time, and Kurt's just silently agreeing with her <laughs> during this whole scene. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. And, then... and also, just in Dammit Janet, I love his terrible homemade bald cap for that song. <laughs> yeah, yeah I love like... that the costumes changed over yeah. the course of the episode. That was a really good touch. Yeah, I like. I really like that they had that sort of rehearsal version where they were all sort of half in, you know, they had some wigs and stuff, but it wasn't all put together yet. 
Mm. And I love that in this, like, practice scene, like, Kurt's really into it, whereas, you know, Mercedes and, and Quinn are kind of, like, half into the into doing it, but he gets really but into it. But he also, <laughs> he gets to be completely disdainful and disgusted by Finn and Rachel, and I think he's just... Um, later on there, what's, what is the, oh, um, the, there's a light over at the Frankenstein place, which they don't, I love the actual full version of that song because Chris gets to sing or Kurt gets to sing and it's really gorgeous. I'm sad that they cut that out of the episode. Well, it makes sense. I think that um, didn't, um, the guy that played Riff Raff originally and also wrote it, I believe, didn't he do the science fiction double feature song? Um, I feel like that's a thing that that I heard, and therefore, if they were doing the same casting, then Kurt would have done science fiction double At, feature. Actually, um, so for the stage version, Magenta sings science fiction double feature. Oh, okay. And um, Santana sings it, and we know that she gets to sing it because um, at, in the sectionals episode coming up, she says, I got to be the lips in Rocky Horror, which is her only solo. Um, <laughs> but for the film, Richard O'Brien said that someone else was going to do it, and then he did it, and then, and it was, I think it was a bit of a point of contention with the woman who had played the original Magenta, who was Magenta in the film. Oh. Because, and oh. then they asked, she was the only person available to do the lips in the film, so she still had the lips, but she didn't get, she lost one of her big solo. But yeah. Oh. So in the film version, <laughs> I didn't know but they're doing the stage version, so it would be Magenta. Okay. Um, uh, I just, this is another little backgroundy thing that it's a Chris thing, but it's interesting because it always, you know, because he's playing Kurt during this. Whenever Chris has something in his hands that he can twirl, he'll be twirling it. And <laughs> it's the, the, the Kurt thing. Yep. <laughs> so I think, just think it's interesting that it becomes a Kurt thing. Yeah. <laughs> Was he twirling in this episode? The feather doctor. Oh, during. right. Yes. Yes. When everybody's doing their drama, I think Will and, and uh, John Stamos are arguing about something, and he's just sitting there twirling the feather duster. Yeah. There's a lot of still arguing. And, yeah, we do get the cameos by Meatloaf and... Barry Boswick. Barry Boswick, yeah. Being the guys who are thoroughly against this sort of thing. So that's fun. Um, then um, there's Creature of the Night, which... Do we, I don't know if we really want to discuss Will and Emma and the bizarre display in middle school, but <laughs> it is kind of weird though when they when she's like on the table and then they start having the kids over her. I mean, like, I know it's a fantasy thing, but it's still a little weird. <laughs> I mean, well, you, like Sue talks about it being weird, but also you get Kurt, you get sorry, you also get Finn saying, "I have no idea what's going on with this trip," and it's not in a cool Inception kind of way. <laughs> yeah, it's when he's running lines with Rachel. It so reminds me of when they were running lines for Cabaret, and he was also like, "What the hell is going on here?" I don't get musical theater. What is going well, on? Poor thing. They're very weird shows to be the ones introducing him. Like, it's true. They are. <laughs> he likes Greece. Okay. Oh, and. Um. Uh, and then, oh, go ahead. Becky had a pretty important plot point in this episode, I think, where she's the one that tells Will about Sue's um, whole TV segment complaining about the, the play. Because um, mm-hmm. I think that, um, oh, like, it's really easy to see Becky as, like, 
going along with everything Sue says all the time, but she obviously is is okay with um, you know making things difficult for her sometimes. So. As I, I got so excited when that happened. My note is in all caps because I was just talking about the fact that Becky, you know, it's in season six you get a, a moment where she says um, that <laughs> she doesn't know why, but her but Sue not accepting the guys from Dalton is her line and she's stopping things. But, you know, it's not the first <laughs> time that she's been willing to go around Sue. Um, and I was thinking of the fact that she does it in the Spanish teacher, but then here as well, she's very clearly like going up to Will about the candy. And then she's, bit, you know, she's not just saying, Oh, it's in a tape. She's like, come on, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's not blindly loyal to Sue. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And, you know, she's been trained by the best into being really manipulative. There's also in Hot Patootie, uh, Carl sings that, and this is mm-hmm. well off because he can sing. Um, <laughs> Kurt, Kurt isn't, Kurt's enjoying it, but he's not joining in the clapping. And then when everyone gets up, he gets up, and I couldn't see where he was, and he was sitting on the speaker while everyone else was dancing. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say he wasn't. I think I made a note of this that he's like half gone. You don't see him for half the number, but that's probably because he's sitting over on a speaker. Yeah, behind the band. <laughs> I love his hat in that scene because it's the only time he's not really dressed up as riffraff in the like three quarters of the episode. Yeah. So. Um, and then there's the scene I, I we already talked about it a little bit, but where there I, my favorite scene. I don't know, just because I think it's hilarious. Um. Where they're doing the names back and forth, and she was like, "I don't get any of this. This has bad piecing problems. <laughs> None of this is plausible." <laughs> I think, and Will saying like, over and over, "My line, Finn's line, my line, Finn's line." <laughs> yeah, and I love the well, like this isn't helping, and she's like, "What? This is my rewrite." I'm <laughs> like, all of those lines are so funny. Oh, but then I feel so bad for Mike. He like is watching sitting so far back alone during all the bits where he, you know, after um, his parents say no, no, Jamie, you want to talk about? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't really have any further notes on, I mean, that's pretty much all of Kurt until time warp. So um, go ahead if we wanted to open it up to talking about other things in this episode. Okay, so one of the things that, that people hated about, like some people got angry about this episode being so, um, like, censoring the songs so much and one of the songs that was changed from the original was sweet transvestite in which mercedes sings sweet transvestite from sensational transylvania instead of um uh transsexual transylvania as if transsexual is a bad word and at the same time in the same episode when mike says his parents won't let him do the show his reason is they don't want me playing a tranny which is a bad word and um so I find it strange <laughs> that um, he would use that word and that, I mean, I guess it makes sense that Mercedes legitimately is not transsexual, but she does in the song say she's a transvestite. Like, basically, I can't wrap my head around the reasoning for the changes to the song. if They can't say transsexual, but can say tranny. Do you think that shows ignorance on the writer's parts, or do you think that they knew the connotation? Uh, I, I mean, I think... I, I honestly have no I idea. I think um, 
one of the things with Mercedes was that she said she's going to modernize the song rather than maybe like make it more appropriate to her singing it or something. Um, and yeah, like the choice, especially that she'll sing transvestite. Um, and yeah, this is one of two times they use the T-slur in the mm-hmm. show. Um, prior, well, it's also, and then in season six, it's shown and they specifically talk about it being a horrible term to use when it's used against Sheldon. Um, and yeah. actually, it's one of those sort of small things. Actually, I really appreciated that at some point they did, you know, say that. Yeah, um, it's like they were correcting themselves. I, I would yeah. like to think that they were just sort of ignorant about it at this point, And then later I, they learned and then they brought it up in a, in a much, much later episode. Um, I think a lot of people were very ignorant about it being a slur and about it not being an OK word to use. And I think certainly someone like Mike would at that point wouldn't have any context to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am... just, you know, but they still choose to use it without anything else. So I don't think that necessarily excuses it. Mm-hmm. But um, at, at, at the same time, I don't get why Mercedes would censor out the word transsexual, but still describe herself as a transvestite. In song. Yeah, I don't get it. and then um in the episode cut they do of uh born this way later in the season they don't include the um Mm. gay straight or bi lesbian transgender life line right yeah 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 what is that is it's so strange to me that they do that sometimes and it's quite a common like shortcut of born this way but you think and you know people have sort of talked about reasons I know you got a letter out who sort of does in-universe analysis of all of them has talked about why that might not be in there but I do think it's it's very odd what, what um, the way Mercedes changes it and I don't know you guys know more than I do I'm I'm <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe it's just the writers not taking a topic and not really knowing what to do with it. And I think, you know, especially a lot of people, like, this was 2010, and I think there was a thing about, I think it was around then that Neil Patrick Harris used that word, and, you know, there was some stuff, and there was a lot of cases that particularly of, like, cisgendered gay men using it, and particularly if they have contact with, like, drag communities but not necessarily trans communities mm-hmm. um, and I think um, that like the the gay male characters on Glee have gotten a lot of different like plot arcs, different personalities different points of view because like at least one writer and creator of the show is a gay man and there's like yeah. there's, some of the actors are gay men and um, like it's good that eventually there's two trans characters on the show but like I don't think anyone involved in the creation of the show is trans and so I don't think they get it they don't have they didn't include a diversity of stories about that so I like I yeah I wouldn't be surprised if they just you know did completely didn't understand the meaning of the word and yeah I I kind of lean towards that I, I think there are certain things just in general glee Sometimes, I, I and I'm not completely criticizing them, I don't think they do this badly all the time, but like how sometimes when uh, Glee does women, or talks about, I mean, 
sometimes it's a little like, oh, okay, you guys are obviously all men, aren't you? But other times they do things that are well, and I think, um, I, I do think that usually, in, in, you know, they have their everybody's best interest in mind, but they, you know, flub up and 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 miss things. I, I, I think one of the thing, you know, you get that as well, sort of with queer women. Um, there's, you know, many fewer and not so many different things. Um, but then I think it's one thing that I do think about Glee is that I think it has a better representation to like screw up ratio than nearly anything else, which doesn't make <laughs> the screw ups okay. But I think it's rather like if they do so much more, they're more likely to screw up. But also, right. it's very much a show that really covers a wide diversity of gay men. Right. And that's that's not a bad thing. And, you know, it's not, you know, it can be disappointing that they don't do that with everything else. But that is one of the right. points where they really, really do arrange. Mm-hmm. And, and going along with that, I mean, think about back in 2010, even Kurt's storyline, I mean, there were still people that were like, when Kurt and Flynn were going to kiss, and it was, like, this huge thing. I mean, still, it, you know, at that point, was so, like, two men kissing on television was, whoa. And it's amazing to see how things, you know, progress in, in over, like, even five years. I find it, I find it uh, hilarious that I've, I, firm, I, I strongly remember back in season one, I thought that this is yet another show with one single gay character there's always one gay guy on the show if there are any, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then six years later, there's 50 billion gay characters on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I think uh, season two is really when it sort of became that. And, you know, I, I do wonder about the fact that it stopped being a media darling, very sort of proportional arcs, if you look at it, to being a lot more about mm-hmm. a range of queer characters. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can. I I think that it not having, I don't. This is going to be a strange thing to say, but the fact that it decreased in popularity of the general public kind of allowed it to to be more of a niche show that um, could do things more with queer characters and and any you know things that they might not have been able to if they had had the spotlight on them but for a much longer. Even time. as they massively had the spotlight on them in season two, they were doing a lot more. And while they were doing more, it was getting less critical acclaim. But, you know, people have very just opinions there. But, I mean, you it, one of the things that's really cool about Glee, I think, is yeah, you get so much, you know, the reaction to Chris Colfer and Kurt in the first 13, where he didn't have that much, was huge. And that's why he became such a bigger character. You know, the same thing happened with Blaine and the same thing happened with Brittany and Santana, that they covered the story because people fought for it. And there is something very cool about a show that started out being pretty straight that became so queer because of the audience reaction wanting that at that point. Oh, yeah. And I especially think it's fascinating when you go back and and talk about that the show didn't originally have any gay characters or any kind of queer characters in it because, uh, you know, Kurt wasn't even in it. So I can't, I mean... It's funny to think that you'd have this whole show, you know, about just a bunch of straight people singing. It's, 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 <laughs> like, who would watch a show like that? That's weird. <laughs> I, uh, I also, um, just talking about the episodes or a bit more, talking about some of the cisgender straight men in it, Finn and Sam had this episode about um, 
body consciousness and all of that um that i think is really interesting and i think it's cool to show that story with two straight guys mm. and it's also very very paralleled with um naked in season four you even get in in the season four episode sam walks down the corridors of the school in just his boxer shorts like finn does in <laughs> this one yeah. um and the, i love the exchange where they're talking and sam sort of building him up and saying you don't need to be like me or you know whatever and then <laughs> Finn says, I don't need to hide behind my muscles like you do. And as he's walking out, Sam's like, awesome, I think. Are you insulting me? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I like that we see a bit more of that. Because it's, you know, they have that massive, basically, you know, it's kind of in Cord's contract, he needs to be shirtless at least once per episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's kind of a shame that they felt so, that they needed to stick to the Will plotline for so long, because I think the Will plotline in this episode is awful. I, I just, <laughs> his reasoning for doing anything in this episode just seems off and, and awful, and um, I think there's some interesting um, stories there with the kids um, trying to do Rocky Horror, and a lot of conversations you could be had, and it's a shame that they didn't explore I'm that. I'm not more, more interested in the kid's story, but I think I think this makes a lot of sense as a world story because he's very well, you know, it's consistent. He's always very childhood trying to childish and trying to you know, he's not looking at things logically and he gets so caught up in everything. So it feels pretty consistently bizarre will to me. Um <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of awful. Especially, uh, uh, all the stuff with Carl is just so ludicrous, but also, like, him driving into the scene, like, driving onto the stage, like, two scenes early, and he's like, I was just feeling Beatrice here. Emma's just like, well, yeah. <laughs> you have good instincts. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, and I just, I can't, thinking about Will making the decision because he wants to get closer to Emma to put himself in the position as an educator to be promiscuous on stage in his undies with a underage female. You just have to embrace that Will's a terrible person and then it's much better. Like they don't even bring up the fact that like, that's just a rehearsal with Emma and on the actual show, he would be with doing touch touch a touch me with rachel like well sue brings that up i think (laughs) yeah (laughs) and actually sue says in her tape pushing boundaries with with being your only aim makes bad art which i think is a good point it's a weird one where i think she is you know i think she's often both right and wrong and i think if all you're trying Mm. to do is push buttons then you're not helping anything and actually, that does wake Will up to the fact that he was doing everything for the wrong reasons. And, it, you know, there are reasons that they should do this that aren't just about him trying to win Emma away from a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does kind of, it's an interesting conversation to have. Um, like, is Rocky Horror something that a high school production should do? Uh, you yeah. know, and and there are lots of, it's not a clear answer on yes or no, but... If it's just for somebody trying to hook up with somebody else, then yeah. <laughs> a lot of people hate this episode, but I, I like it. Um, but then I also wish they'd done Little Shop of Horrors, mostly because I think Carl should have sung Dentist. 
and it was. Oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, it's it's not really one of my favorites, but I do think there are a lot of little moments that are good in it, and the music's good. I think that they did a really good job with the music in it. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if I found out that the the main reason they hired Cord Overstreet was so he could be Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is true. I bet you they... Oh, that's so funny. I might be wrong about this, but I think... I think Kurt Mega said that he was in the running for Sam, who he plays um, Nick Mm -hmm. the Warbler, who sings Uptown Girl, um, Mm -hmm. and has one line of one word ever. (laughs) Three. Really? I, and he's so, I always pick him out. I know exactly who well, he is. Probably because we all know the Warblers so I well. I was so confused by that when I entered fandom. But he does also get half a song or most of a song. So there is that. He sings most of Uptown Girl. But I, I was fascinated by the concept that people knew who these Warblers were because I had no idea. <laughs> and I was like, and it, was, it was season four by then. So I was like, why, are they, why is this still happening? <laughs> Trent. No, I love Trent. Trent I know I do too. Uh, you know, and I, one reason why I, I will be dead honest with you guys, um, whenever I get to, like, rewatching the show, and I, I enjoy the beginning of season two, and I really like World Jesus and, 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 um, duets, and, and, and I get to Rocky Horror, I'm like, okay, I gotta get through this, and then Blaine's here. <laughs> so. And I think a lot of people feel like that, and that makes people like it even less than they might. Have. <laughs> Hank Green did a video about this episode of Glee, the, YouTuber, um, and he. I, and the thing is, I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember if he watched Lee Mutt, but he's someone who sort of grew up doing Rocky Horror a lot. And I, th- I think he wasn't. He didn't like it very much, and I sort of disagreed with some of his reasoning. But I always remember that he did. He did a YouTube video about this episode. <laughs> Alright, so we can end on the time warp, um, which I think is a great performance. I really like it. Just a good all-round group number. Yeah, I, I, I do wish Finn had been given less of it because, um, you know, Brad doesn't sing any of it in the yeah, show. Yeah, they completely change what everyone's role is for that song. Like, at that point, they don't care what the story is supposed to be. or Columbia, The Columbians still get their bit, and they, <laughs> I really like how they split that with, like, Britney dancing down the line and then swapping with Tina. I think that was quite a seamless double cross transition, but yeah, there's a lot of really odd <laughs> line choices there. Does Tina do anything in this episode? She she sings half a verse in Time Warp. <laughs> okay, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Sometimes I do, it's like Tina watch. What is she, wait a minute, where's Tina? She <laughs> um, She might have had a line in that first seen but I can't remember I feel like she might have though yeah well and yeah this is I mean looking at duets which really utilizes all the kids in in ways and everybody got some kind of you know storyline you compare it to this one where it's a will story and I feel sometimes those are a little weaker um after season one because you know they and they're just not balanced as well, and favorite characters don't get lines, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think it's a pretty common thing. There's so many characters, and most episodes 
even if they focus on more characters than a lot of things would, half of the people are still going to be completely left by the wayside, especially in an episode about the adults so much as this one. Yeah. Yeah. I have in my notes, let's do the time warp again, or let's not move on to interesting things. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry, I don't hate this episode. And they uh, they sort of, uh, I liked um, when they had um, RT as the narrator doing the it's just a jump to the left like oh, yeah. on your hips and that uh, I like to put your knees in tight and I like that you see him moving his legs like just, oh yeah it's a little thing yeah. but you know that you can see that it's that way you know as a random thing I've become like I really do enjoy the song but then playing Glee forever and it's so hard on expert and I'm like ah, forget <laughs> yeah it. I, I, was watching it. <laughs> I felt this with um well it was, it was sort of the opposite feeling but I felt that this, it was just so frustrated because it's so hard in the game. And then Lucky, I was just like, I've done this so many times in that game and I didn't like it much to begin with. <laughs> but it's growing on me. Because it's one of the easiest ones. <laughs> uh, Ron Joey Ron is all still, I'm like, why am I playing this again? Why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> Even though I, I, in the show I enjoy oh, it. But like... <laughs> so... All right, well, um, do you guys have anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? Or uh, I felt like I had a, a thing I was going to say like a while back, but... Sure, go ahead if you want to. Oh. Like, we can cut out at dead space. Yeah, so. the only <laughs> other thing I was going to say about the body issues plot was um, that I like that um, that Rachel compared herself to Finn, like, visually. Like, she said, well, you just have a different body type like I don't look like Santana or Brittany but you still think I'm hot right and it's like oh yeah (laughs) and that like makes him feel better about himself yeah 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 and oh actually um, I think Finn plays Brad really really well and like the bits where we see him actually acting it and he is you know even like doing the voice and stuff for damn it Janet I think he's acting really really well in this yeah <laughs> well yeah and Brad is kind of a kind of clueless throughout the whole thing it fits I, I mean even though I kind of um look at Will's casting as and I roll my eyes it does make sense why they went with all of the care you know the way they they set up the casting so yeah I I would have been interested to see um, Artie play a different role though. <laughs> like um, what, what if Artie was Brad he's really nerdy by default so what if Artie was Frankenstein <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> I don't that, wow <laughs> I'm trying to picture that I feel that. like that's, that's something Kevin would happily do I'm not but... yeah though it would have been really interesting to see Mike do Frankenstein yeah, no. not to you know downplay Mercedes role or anything I just Think it's I'm strongly in favor of Mike as Frankenfurter just because I wanted the visual. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great visual. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you guys so much for talking about these episodes with Thank me. Thank you. Thank you. Dun 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 d
Sister will be suspicious. My brother will be there at the door. Waves upon the tropical shore. Disabilities, let you out past bullied or seized. Rejoice and love yourself today, cause baby, you were born this way. So raise your glass if you are wrong in all the right ways. All your life, you were only waiting for this moment to arrive. Dream.